Welcome to Journey in the Word with Pastor Randy Mosher of Calvary Chapel, the Cumberland Valley. We are located in Hagerstown, Maryland. Please join us every weekday as our pastor takes us verse by verse through a book of the Bible. Today, we're picking up in the Gospel of Luke, where the writer emphasizes the ministry that Jesus had to the poor and hurting and our need for a Savior. All of these being validated by the Old Testament prophecies about Christ. So if you're able, grab your Bibles and join us as we continue our journey in the Word. But, but they're not what they really need to satisfy the hunger. Some try to satisfy their hunger with spiritual activities and events. I got news for you. That'll make you feel good for a moment. There's nothing wrong with it. But it's not going to satisfy the hunger. Others try to solve it, and I see this, I don't mean here, but I just mean in my Christian life, I've seen it so much. They're trying to solve the hunger with ministry. They're, 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 they're so engaged in ministry. Look, should we be engaged in ministry? Absolutely. But you know what? Ministry is not about us meeting a need for us. Ministry and service is about us serving the Lord. And if we're doing it for us, then that's a mistake. I've even looked here at this congregation over the years and said, if you're serving for you, step out now and take a breather. Get reconnected with the Lord because your service is to be about him, not about you. Oh, it's not that he won't return blessing to you as you serve him. It's not that he won't give you satisfaction in your service as you serve him, but you don't go doing it for that reasons. You see, but so many people are looking for ministry and their involvement in it. I'm going to tell you right now, there are people filling pulpits today that are trying to fill a need within them. And it's a mistake. It's a mistake. And yet others do it by seeking out things that they think will just stir them spiritually. You know, they seek out churches and worship services that offer a powerful sensory stimulating venue and music or the worship environment, you know. Are those things all wrong? No. But in what we're seeking, it's not what's going to satisfy. And yet the hunger... If you look at it, it never seems to get satisfied for folks. It just gets satisfied for the moment, but then they find it all returns again. And and that the things that provided some level of fulfillment for a time, it no longer does. And then they have to seek out new and different things, spiritually even. You know, I said this last week, but I personally believe it's one of the reasons that that a lot of churches today keep reinventing themselves, you know, keep rebranding themselves. Offering new and continually changing venues to their congregations because they know that the things they provided that met people's hunger yesterday won't be meeting their hunger today. It's also one of the chief chief reasons why I believe that church hopping is so prevalent in the American church in particular today, which is constantly looking. It fills my need for now. Now I'm going to go somewhere else. Far too many Christians have made feeding upon Jesus about all sorts of things that have something to do with him, but which are not ultimately the thing that will satisfy, which is Jesus himself. You know, it's why I said to you guys a few weeks ago that even when it comes to the teaching of God's word, it's, it's not the teaching of God's word that brings fulfillment. It's not the teaching of God's word that brings fulfillment. It's Jesus who reveals himself to us in his word. It's Jesus, the living word, that brings fulfillment. And we come to the Bible not to worship the Bible or to to find satisfaction from the Bible, but we come to the Bible to meet with and to worship Jesus and to find satisfaction that only comes from him. If you're coming here and you're missing that, 
You're going to at times be moved by what you're hearing and being taught, but, but you're still going to walk away hungry. You're still going to walk away hungry from a place that's giving you a meal. We're not afraid to teach the Bible. I'm not afraid to teach the Bible. I've done this for 19 years. I don't intend to change this in the future. This is what I'm called to do. This is what the church is called to do. This is what pastors are called to do. But I can tell you, if you're coming here not to meet with Jesus in the scriptures, then you're going to go away hungry, no matter how good the meal is that's being provided to you. You see, it's about Jesus. And it's about Jesus alone that fulfills and, and satisfies the hunger in our souls. And everything else associated with him is, is meant to simply enhance our focus on him. To reveal him more fully to us. But not to replace him. Not to replace him. You know, I believe this is one of the issues for the discontentment I see among Christians during this strange season that we're going through right now in our country. So many are focused on and angry over the things that they're not able to do, that they've associated with Christianity, spiritual practices that they're used to doing. I'm talking about COVID right now and the anger that's accompanying that, you know, but all of those things that, that they felt they could do. Well, I could come to church and I didn't have to wear a mask. I could, I could gather and I could hug people and we could, we could have our picnics and we could all these things. But I'm just going to tell you why all those things are made to be good and they're helpful. They really are not what God ever intended to satisfy your spiritual hunger. And, and, and when I see people so focused on these things, it just tells me that they're feeding on those things that they associate with Jesus rather than on Jesus himself. You know, what he's given us to satisfy our hunger is himself. And Jesus is still here regardless of what other things might be constricted or changed. He hasn't stopped coming to meet with you because you've got to wear a mask. He hasn't stopped coming to meet with you because we've socially distanced. He hasn't come stop meeting with you when we were even live streaming the services only during that brief season. You know, I like what Corey Tenboom once said, when everything in her life was stripped away, you guys all know Corey Ten Boom, the hiding place, right? And she's in the prison camp. She's probably figuring she's going to die. They're all dying anyways from starvation and, and infection and the lice and everything else that's there. But this is what she said, and it's profound. And I think, I think it's something that the church in particular, I'm tough on the church in America because I think we're just spoiled to death. I'm spoiled to death. But here's what she said, and we ought to listen to it. You can never learn that Christ is all you need until Christ is all you have. You know, since this whole thing began, and I know that God is doing multiple things. I know that. You know, and I, I don't, I'm not even taken away from the idea that he's shaping our world for what he's developing for the last days, for this world, right? But, but I'm not as concerned with what he's doing to shape things for the world as I am what he's doing to change things and shape me in the midst of what he's doing in our world. And I have not been able to get away from the idea since this whole thing began. I wonder what he's trying to teach me right now. I wonder if this is what he's trying to teach me, that he's stripping everything away that has been so familiar to me as an American Christian, taking away, and, and it's only incremental. I mean, look at what we still have. Look at what we still have. You know, I've said to people before, you know, the disciples, they, they would have given a right arm to have the technology that we have to reach people in their living rooms with the gospel. I was just looking at the message from last week that we put on Facebook, and we, we're pretty close to almost 5,000 views already on that. But could you imagine the Apostle Paul? 
he'd be going, what are you guys griping about? Oh my goodness, what's wrong with you? Look at what the Lord has provided. But you know what? A lot in our lives has changed, and a lot has been stripped away, but that's not always bad. If we can understand that the Lord's trying to teach us that ultimately he's the one that satisfies our hunger and not all these other things. So for those of you who are seeking satisfaction in the things of the world, Jesus is the only thing that will satisfy your hunger. And, and for those of you who are seeking satisfaction in all sorts of spiritual activities and things associated with Jesus, Jesus alone is the, is the one that will satisfy your hunger. We all need to feed on him alone. He's the bread of life because he alone is the bread that satisfies. And again, the order here in this is really important as we look at these because Jesus began with blessed are you poor before he said blessed are you who hunger. <laughs> it's poverty of spirit that makes us fully aware of our spiritual hunger. Until you experience poverty of spirit, you're not going to empty yourself enough to truly experience the pangs of hunger within that will cause you to diligently seek for and to find and the, the real nourishment that, that your soul really needs. Oh, it's not that the hunger won't be there. It will be there. But what it will be is that you will have put so much junk food in your life that you've quelled it with other things that really aren't satisfying. It. And quite frankly, you're malnourished and you're dying and you don't even know it. You're starving to death and you don't even know it. And that's what happens, you see. But when we have poverty of spirit, it's then that, that we're in the right position to realize our need for the bread that truly satisfies. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. Hmm. Well, let's look on. He goes on now. He says in verse 21, blessed are you who weep now for you shall laugh. Sorrow. Beatitude number three, sorrow. Another way of saying this is, oh, how happy are you who weep now for a time is coming when you shall laugh. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus said it this way, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Pain, suffering, sorrow, they're all a part of existence in this life. And yet, for those who are in Christ, there's a promise given of greater joy to come, right? Right? of joy to come. Psalm 30, verse 5, I love this, but Psalm 30, verse 5, I think the second part of that verse, it says this, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Aren't you waiting for the morning? I'm waiting for it. I know that, you know, it's darkest right before the sun comes up. And we see darkness in our world. I don't think it's quite as dark as it's yet going to get. It's going to. But there's a day of sunshine coming, a sunrise that's come, a sunrise, the sun who has already risen. Don't you love when pastors take those quaint little phrases, right? The sun has risen. It's perfect. He's already risen, but we're going to get to see him. And it's right. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And as Revelation 21 and verse 4 promises, and God will wipe away every tear from their eye. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Wow. Only in Christ do we have that promise. Only by our faith in Christ do we have that promise that, that one day the sorrow that we have or will experience in our lives on this fallen planet will be over, never, ever to be experienced again. Unbelievers, they don't have that hope. Do you know that? Unbelievers don't have that hope. In fact, Scripture is quite clear that pain, suffering, and sorrow will be part of their eternal existence. I mean, Jesus said in Matthew 13, 
Verses 39 through 43, Matthew 13, 39. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth, and the righteous will shine forth as the Son in the kingdom of their Father, he who has ears to hear. Let him hear. Only with our faith placed in Jesus Christ are any of us assured that laughter will replace weeping, that the sun will rise and, and replace the darkness, that joy will replace sorrow. Only those of us with faith in Christ. And yet that's not the sorrow that Jesus has in mind in this statement. It's not. He's not talking about weeping and sorrow that life in a fallen world produces for us, but he's specifically talking about godly sorrow. He's talking about godly weeping. He's talking about godly mourning. He's talking about the sorrow that comes from seeing, not just seeing the sin in our world. I weep and grieve over that. I weep and grieve over that. But that's not at the heart, I think, of what he's talking about. He's talking about the sorrow that comes from seeing and accepting who we truly are as fallen human beings. This is right back to poverty of spirit. It's still connected. It's all about poverty of spirit. Jesus is saying that the person who finds true happiness is the man or woman who recognizes their sinfulness and the poverty of their lives spiritually and who mourns and weeps repentantly over it because it produces in them what Paul describes in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 10. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 10, for godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. You see, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. <laughs> you see, it's the person who, in recognizing their sinfully fallen state, who we are apart from God, who we are apart from Jesus, and, and, and that person that grieves over that, who then finds him or herself in that position where God is able to move powerfully in their lives and replace that sorrow with joy by changing them from their sinful state to a righteous state instantaneously. Or maybe not in every practical aspect, but instantaneously, positionally, and then the rest of the life, working it in practically through their life, you see. There's indescribable joy in the righteousness that God produces in us because we know that we've done nothing to deserve it. That's the joy at the heart of it, that, that he's made me this, accepted me, re removed the sorrow that would come from not having eternal life with him, not because anything I've done, but simply because he was willing to do that for me if I simply trusted him to do it. <laughs> There's incredible joy in knowing that God has made us what we couldn't make ourselves ever. But it begins with a recognition of our spiritual poverty because only then are we going to begin to, to realize and to gain or a, 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 a redeeming understanding of how much Jesus has done for us and to experience the joy that comes from knowing that. You know, I have long said, and sometimes it's the consternation of some, but I, I stand on this. I really do. I've long said that I don't believe any man or woman can truly be saved without at least some level of understanding of their sinfully fallen state. You know, because if you don't understand your sinfully fallen state, then what, are you, what is Jesus saving you from? Why do you need him? Why is he necessary? You know, Spurgeon said it well. He said this, I do not believe in that faith which has not a tear in its eye when it looks at to Jesus. Dry-eyed faith seems to me to be 
forgive the word, he used it, bastard faith, not born of the Spirit of God. Now, when I talk about weeping here, I'm not saying that you had to look back on your life and you had this tearful experience and you wept at the altar. No, I'm talking about tears of the heart, the grief of the heart. It says, I recognize. Apart from you, Jesus, I'm, I'm lost. I need you. That's the grief that he's speaking of. But godly sorrow, and here's the promise, godly sorrow produces repentance that leads to what? Joy. Leads to joy. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. Let's look on. Verse 22. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and revile you and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for indeed your reward is great in heaven, for in like manner their fathers did to the prophets. Number four and finally, Jesus says, Oh, how happy are you, and what blessings await you when people hate you and exclude you and mock you and curse you as evil because you have chosen to follow me. This is an attitude. I'm smiling because this is an attitude that does not compute from a worldly perspective. Not at all. Most human beings do everything that they can. I do everything I can by nature as a human being to be accepted and liked. We want to be liked. People even avoid saying and doing certain things so as not to offend others and to cause them to push them aside or to reject them or to create an offense that would cause them to be treated poorly. And yet God's way is not the world's way, right? It's not the world's way. Jesus says that God's way is one of spiritual happiness when we're mistreated and pushed aside by people for the choices that we've made in regard to him. And that's what we're talking about. We're talking about not being accepted and liked in this world for who we are. That's a completely different issue. You know, that is painful. I grew up as a high school kid and I was in the outside. I was outside the circle of friends. You know, my friends were geeks. You know, I was a perfect geek too because I had that little plastic thing you put in there and you put your pens in, right? That stuff gets you beat up, right? It gets you put in the athletic cage, you know, and locked in there overnight. You know, I know. So... I'm not talking about the like that people have for us. Look, I, I, you know, I want to do everything I can to be likable to people. I don't want to be caustic and cause them not to like me because of stuff. You know, I understand it. But, but he's talking about the way people respond to us because of him. That's a completely different matter altogether. You know, <laughs> when we think about this, though, when we talk about him, he's also not saying that we need to do things to get persecuted and pushed away and rejected by people for him. There are people who do that. You know, I saw on, on one news thing, some guy got beat up because he went down to the, to the, to one of the rallies that was taking place after one of the incidents that occurred in the country with, with a black man and went down. And of course the black lives matter people have all gathered and they're protesting and it's on the edge of violence because every, the tensions are rising high. Right. And this dude goes down there with his Jesus signs and he's waving. He's dressed in funky clothes and he's waving in front of everybody and they kick the snot out of him. You know, and, 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 and it's amazing to me because then I saw Christian sites or Christians on the web that were talking about persecuted for Jesus, persecuted for Jesus. That isn't persecution for Jesus. That's persecution for idiocy. You know, we're not called to do that. That's not what we're called to do. But, but Jesus is talking about the joyful spiritual blessing and eventual rewards that come to our lives when we sincerely are simply living for him. Well, we're just living for him. 
And, and when we graciously, and I say that because it's so important, when we're graciously sharing his message and, and the hope of his message with others. I guarantee you, you just even in a gracious way, you go and share the hope that Jesus has given in the gospel with people. I promise you, at some point in time, you're going to get rejected for that. You don't have to go out of your way to get rejected. You'll get rejected for that. And that's why even Jesus gave that realistic view of himself and the gospel and the effect it would have on people that he would have just by the simple message. I mean, he said in Matthew 10, verses 34 through 36, do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. For I come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. Now, Jesus isn't saying, hey, go in there and start a fight. What Jesus is saying is, if you live for me, it's going to divide things. They are going to reject you. It's going to bring a sword in the relationship. It's going to split things up. People are not going to like who you are and what you are. It's not that Jesus was saying that, that he would go out of his way, nor that we should go out of our way to antagonize people or, or to create fleshy division in his name. But he is simply saying that he and his gospel message are naturally offensive and a natural divider of people. Many people will reject him and his message than will accept him. <laughs> More will reject his message than will accept him. More people reject those he sends than will accept them. And that's why he also said in Matthew 7, verses 13 through 34, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it because they don't want to find it, because they reject the message. So you see, you don't have to pick up that signboard. You don't have to put on some funky Jesus clown suit, you know, and, 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 and go to that rally to stir things up. The life you naturally live as a believer and the simple message of the gospel, which Jesus has given you to share with people on a regular basis, it's going to create enough division of its own. It's going to do that. And if you choose to be faithful to Jesus, you will be hated by many. You will be reviled by people. You will be mocked by folks. And you will be called evil, even called evil by people in the process. Why? Because that's what happened to Jesus. And Jesus has told us, right? John chapter 15, verses 18 through 25. John 15, 18. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake. Because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have had no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. But this happened that the word might be fulfilled, which is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. <laughs> so you don't have to go out of your way. You know, just live faithfully for Jesus. Just live your life naturally for Jesus. And watch what happens. But remember this. Not all will hate you. Not all will revile you. Not all will reject you. Not all will persecute you. There will be those who have ears to hear and eyes to see. And God will use it. He'll cut through their hearts with it. 
Well, this is the heart of what he has. We have so much more I could go into, but, but I don't want to drag this on anymore this morning. I, I hope you're seeing the heart in the Beatitudes. And doesn't it all go back to that first one? Poverty of spirit. Poverty of spirit. If you got that, the rest of these are going to fall into place. But if you try to, to work these attitudes, and remember, when I say work, I'm not talking about you doing it. But I'm just saying, even if you want to latch on to these other attitudes without poverty of spirit, you'll never get these other ones. It won't matter. It's poverty of spirit that says, you know what? There's nothing in me. So if they want to persecute me, let them do it. Poverty spirit says, man, I'm hungry <laughs> for right things. It's, it's the very foundation of them all. We sometimes pull these out of their context and we teach them out of their context. This morning you sat on the hillside with Jesus. Think about how he would have said this this morning. I know his words would have been different. I hope not that different because I'm praying the Holy Spirit. His spirit has been speaking to you guys through me. But you know what? This is, would have been his heart. This is what he would have shared with those people. And you know what? He would have said it with all the love he could in his eyes for them. Because he knew that this is what would bring blessed blessing. And I say it to you guys with that same heart. This is where you're going to find your blessing in life. This is it. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Journey in the Word, a verse-by-verse teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel of the Cumberland Valley. If you would like to listen to more teachings or find out more information about us, go to www.journeyintheword.org. That's www.journeyintheword.org. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll tune in for our next episode as we continue our Journey in the Word.